0: Welcome to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, a two true freaks presentation. I am your host, J David Weeder, but you can call me Dave. Here in the show I read Daredevil comics, enjoy Daredevil comics, and talk about Daredevil Comics. This show is all about Marvel's Man Without Fear, Lawyer by Day, Superhero by Night, Daredevil. And yeah, there's been some weirdness. I mean in episode 105, I was kidnapped by Darkseid. I mean he's not even a Marvel character, taken to apocalypse, and I was there for a year. I mean, literally, to the day, a year. December 3rd, 2017, I was taken. December 3rd, 2018, I was released. The thing is, nobody seemed to notice because Darkseid put a doppelganger in my place. Nobody noticed the doppelganger. Not my listeners, not my friends, not my family. And looking back on it, as I've had time to acclimate, I've noticed that that should have been pretty apparent. I mean, a Dave Cave Batman podcast talking about the post-crisis Batman? That should have thrown up some red flags, people. I am, always have been, and always will be a Daredevil guy. Anyway, the way I was released is pretty simple. Because Darkseid popped in in the middle of a recording, I was still under the Demonzo Core contract. So even though I did sign a contract with Darkseid that did give him proprietary rights to me, basically, yeah, you know, he snuck it in on a tour rider when I had him on Superman Forever Radio back in the day, the Demonzo Core contract overrode that and negated that, and I've signed a new contract so I can do this show for years and years and years because if I don't, I go back to Apocalypse. And for those that think I'm talking all weird stuff, go back and listen to episode 105. There's audio proof of this. And just play along, you know what I mean? So in the year I was missing, there was a new Star Wars movie that I finally got to see. Not on the big screen, of course, but I got to see it. I thought this would go to universal acclaim and love with a fandom, but that didn't work out. There was that whole Infinity War thing. That happened. Not for me, but it happened. Most importantly, there was a great third season of Daredevil that I finally got to binge, and then, by the time I was done binging it, they had canceled the show. Really, I'm I'm gone for a year, and this is what happens? Come on, people, I need to stay on watch from now on. My doppelganger was going to start a show called Daredevil Legends. It was an idea I'd already presented as a bad idea. I thought somebody surely would have picked up on that weirdness, but no, no. But I'm back, the show's back, and here's what we're going to do, because I've had a lot of time to think about what I would do differently. See, I've been podcasting for quite a while, over a decade, and even though really my podcasts weren't listened to until 2010, I've been doing this for a while, I've also spent a lot of time with the character of Daredevil. So I wanted to approach the show differently on multiple levels. One is I need to take myself out of the equation a lot, as much as possible, because I tend to overthink and pre-plan to the point where it just becomes a cluster. So what I decided to do was jump back to where I left off in the Frank Miller omnibus, this will be Daredevil number 183, and move forward from there through the omnibus through my actual physical copies, my actual run of Daredevil, and of course take some side trips to Elektra Assassin, Daredevil Eleven, War, and much, much more. What I'm not going to do is over-prepare. I'm actually going to sit down with the comic and simply talk about what I'm seeing as I see it. Basically, I am flying blind. Yes, you are welcome. Come for the Daredevil, stay for the dad jokes. So for the first time in, I don't know, forever, I'm sitting down with a comic. I've certainly read the comic and thought about the comic, but I'm sitting down with no prepared notes, no prepared synopsis, nothing. Just me and a comic book. You would think I'd be nervous, but actually I'm quite excited, A, because this is starting to become fun again, and B, because editing can fix almost anything. But that's basically the Shinola, this show is going back to a weekly format every Sunday. I wouldn't expect extensively long episodes, that's not really my style, I tend to come in, do my thing, and get out. But that is actually the Shinola weekly talking about comics featuring Daredevil, bringing it back to the original idea, which was keep it simple stupid, read Daredevil comics, enjoy Daredevil comics, and talk about Daredevil comics, which I'm going to do I'm going to take a quick promo break, and then I'll be back with Daredevil number 183. Greetings, podcast listener. Do you like... Gatchaman! Or maybe... Dragon! Flame! How about... Tatsua! Or... In the year 1999, an abandoned alien battle fortress crash-landed on the planet Earth. Our most brilliant scientist and engineer spent the next 10 years reconstructing the damaged ship and studying its highly advanced space technology called Robotech. Do you remember... Our Star Blazers! Or this? The year is after Colony 195. As the world constantly changes in the chaotic era, there are two mobile suits that could turn humans into the ultimate weapon. The Wing Zero, and the Epion. Or maybe even this... After the desire for blood rules all, the only hope left is the one they call... D. Or this... Gene! Brabler dead ahead! It wouldn't be fun otherwise! Let's do it! Or... If Cardus is allowed to be reborn, she'll destroy Marmo as well as Lodos! Or have you seen the latest episode of... And just like that, everything changed. At that terrible moment, in our hearts, we knew home was a pen, humanity, cattle. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out Anime Freaks, hosted by Dr. Bill Robinson and me, Gene Hendricks. Anime Freaks is a monthly podcast covering all things anime. It is available at two twotruefreaks.com. And on iTunes under Two True Freaks Presents Anime Freaks. And we are back. Now I want to set up where we are in Daredevil continuity. It's it's the 80s. We're entering the last leg of the Frank Miller run, heading right towards a very climactic conclusion. At this point, Electra was just skewered by Bullseye. Bullseye was incapacitated, and by that I mean he was dropped off a clothesline to basically crush his body, and he's in full traction, not expected to return. But let's be honest, he'll be back. Matt is having a hard time dealing with the loss of Elektra. In fact, such a hard time, he dug up her corpse and opened up her coffin just to confirm she was dead. If you go way back to episode 76, where I covered issue number 182, you'll know I had a lot of beef with that particular issue. It was a little bit over the top. And by a little bit, I mean a lot over the top. Having aired my grievances on that episode, I will say it is... Fairly logical to suspect that something would be up with Electra's dying because, well, she is a ninja, and the Hand, they keep coming back again and again and again. And let's put this back on the board that Matt is currently dating Heather Glenn. So he went to dig up his dead girlfriend while his real girlfriend is out there kind of dealing with her father's company, which she inherited when he committed suicide, potentially because of Daredevil. That will become relevant as we go into the issue. And one last thing, if you recall on episode 76, and you probably don't, that's been several years... Frank Castle, a.k.a. The Punisher, has broken out of prison and he's targeting some drug runners, which will become very relevant as these two come into conflict. And that's not really a spoiler as we look at the cover to Daredevil number 183, the June 1982 issue. At a glance of the cover, you would wonder how the Comics Code approval stamp even made it onto the upper right-hand corner, but there it is. Because basically you have the Punisher crouched on the ground, shooting Daredevil, who's up in the air, and it looks like the whole thing is tearing Daredevil's guts out. I mean, it's a very shocking cover. Daredevil is recoiling and kind of curled up as he's flying through the air from the brunt of the blast, but if you look closer, there's a trick to this cover. It's actually quite deceptive. Looking closer, you see the bullets are actually grazing past Daredevil, kind of hitting him on the side. Now it's shocking because it looks like his guts are spraying out the back of him. There's holes in his costume, but it's actually the side of the costume, which is just one of those kind of made for TV edits, kind of like in Batman the animated series where Batman would punch somebody, but it got by with it because you would actually remove the frames where the contact was made. It's a bit of a visual sleight of hand, but it still gets that shocking idea across that Daredevil's getting blown away by the Punisher. And the Punisher isn't exactly a well-defined character yet. He's not really defined as an anti-hero as he would be in the late 80s and early 90s. He kind of sits more on the side of the villains. He's a chaotic neutral is what he is. He's not quite chaotic good or chaotic evil because even though he's preying on criminals, he's doing it in a criminal manner in and of itself. So at this point, it is conceivable that, well, Daredevil could be taken out by the Punisher. The Punisher isn't operating by a very clear code of honor or anything like that at this point. The Punisher is just the Punisher. And inside this cover is a story entitled Child's Play written by Roger McKenzie and Frank Miller. Pencils by Frank Miller, inks and colors by Klaus Chanson and letters by Joseph Rosen. This is reprinted in Daredevil Punisher Child's Play number 1, which takes this issue and issue 184 puts them in a single cover. You have Punisher vs. Daredevil number 1, Daredevil Visionaries Frank Miller volume 3 and the Daredevil by Frank Miller and Klaus Chanson omnibus, which is what I am reading right now. If you're not into the whole commerce thing, you can also get this issue on Marvel Unlimited. We open the issue at Fifth Period Civics Class at Our Lady of Hope Parochial School, where our boy Matt Murdock is giving a speech about being a lawyer. Civics, you know the whole thing. When out of nowhere, Mary Elizabeth O'Corrin freaks out because she thinks she's seeing snakes and has a complete meltdown and then ends up flying out the window. Matt switches to Daredevil, rushes down to the pavement where she's landed, And a group of people have gathered, including Coach Donahue, who begs Daredevil to help Mary Elizabeth, which he does. He picks her up and rushes her to the hospital, but she is dead because of, the, of course, the impact, but also because she had angel dust in her system, which, of course, caused the freakout and her believing she was seeing snakes. Mary Elizabeth's brother, Billy, arrives at the hospital, and Daredevil gives him the bad news, and Billy vows revenge, Daredevil says, no, don't take the law into your own hands, Billy. Bothered by this, Daredevil decides to investigate who's dealing drugs to kids, So as he goes out in a disguise, let me put air quotes around that, Billy gets a gun from his home and his parents don't seem to notice. Meanwhile, a bunch of street toughs score some PCP from a man named Flapper, who's the assistant to a man named Hogman, the big guy. They decide to go looking for trouble and they find Daredevil in disguise and start assaulting him. And of course, a fight breaks out. And the fight's going not entirely Daredevil's way, but he's handling it when out of nowhere comes a knife in the back of one of these heavies and the Punisher shows up. The Punisher is out for blood and the fight's still going on between Daredevil, the Punisher, and the heavies when out of nowhere, Flapper's walking by and gets capped. I mean, he drops dead to the ground. The Punisher's a little bit thankful for that because it saves him the job, but Daredevil rushes up to the rooftop where he finds Billy with a smoking gun. Billy insists he did not kill the guy, but we literally have a smoking gun. So when Billy is going to trial, Matt volunteers to be his lawyer, even though it seems to be an open and shut case. Billy is put in the care of Coach Donahue, who we met earlier, while Matt investigates a little bit on the Punisher with Ben Urich, finding out what we already know. Punisher's crazy and he's dangerous. Daredevil also investigates the location of the shooting, the rooftop where Billy was, realizing that the perch was a little bit more obstructed than a higher area. Investigating that higher area, Daredevil finds a spent shell. He also finds the Punisher beating up a random junkie to try to get to the dealer, Hogman. Daredevil goes into conflict once again with the Punisher getting stunned for his troubles, and the Punisher ends up beating the junkie until the man's heart stops. Daredevil's luckily able to get the man revived, and learns where to find Hogman, Papa's Greek restaurant. After some medical care, Daredevil arrives to confront Hogman, whose friends abandon him right then and there, hey, this is you, you're on your own, dude, and Daredevil drags Hogman into court. With the junkie as a witness having been sleeping on the rooftop, Hogman is accused of the murder of his friend Flapper instead of Billy, which seems pretty straightforward and you think, hey, this is great, except one twist. When Hogman says he's innocent, his heart doesn't miss a beat. Matt realizes Hogman is apparently telling the truth. The Punisher is watching the news later, kind of doing his little workout being manly and all, and he sees that Matt has volunteered to actually defend Hogman in court on the murder of Flapper. And at this point, the Punisher is pissed, and his sights are set on Matt Murdock. Speaking of Matt Murdock, he takes his girlfriend Heather for a walk in the park, and then he pops the big question, will you marry me, Heather? And our issue closes on that particular cliffhanger. Oh, joy. Now those listeners who have been around the show for a while are going to remember that this story was originally slated for Daredevil number 167, which was the November 1980 issue. But because of the drug content, it was deemed too controversial at the time. The difference between then and when this issue came out is Ronald Reagan took the presidency and declared a war on drugs, which made it fashionable for stories like this to come to the forefront to sort of show what an epidemic looks like in the U.S. of A., so with the War on Drugs, stories like this went from being very taboo, let's not talk about our little secrets, to being very fashionable, and even considered public service messages. And it certainly does scare the crap out of you when you open up the issue and the first panel of the first page is a very, very close close-up, I want to emphasize how close this is, of Mary Elizabeth O'Coran's eye, and it's red. The first two pages are kind of split out in these long, horizontal, thin panels, Starting with the close-up of her eye, pulling back to the close-up of her face, and both red eyes, and then sort of to her paranoid face, freaking out. And this climaxes with Mary flying out the window, and it does look like she's flying. In fact, in the panel in question, it actually looks like Daredevil just chucked her like he's Roger Stahlbach. Now, I'm not going to claim to be a drug expert. I'm not a drug user. I haven't been a drug user I'm not studying drugs extensively, but at the same time, I know there's not a drug that turns people's eyes red and starts smoke billowing out of their mouths. Unless they just inhaled some of that drug. Mary Elizabeth, however, starts billowing smoke out of her mouth with red eyes. Apropos of nothing, she didn't take anything into the mouth. So for some reason, there's smoke just flying out of her. And it doesn't make me think drug addict or drug overdose. It makes me think possessed by the devil. So now I don't think we need a superhero. I think we need two priests, a old priest and a young priest. And, you know, Daredevil can be in the middle. That's an interesting story idea, but that's not what this story is about. The visuals will betray that. I mean, we still have a visual showing Daredevil throwing a girl out a window but it's meant to be shocking and it's meant to galvanize the reader which it is successful in doing but i think the the masterpiece is on the very next page because of the way it's laid out the top panel is another long horizontal panel along the top on the left hand side there's a four square but there's an empty space on the right hand side that stretches all the way to the bottom from that top panel the top panel is mary flying through the window and in the gutter you see the glass falling and at the very bottom of this empty negative space You have Mary's body laying on the ground. You want to be galvanized. You want to be shocked. There it is. A young girl laying in a crumpled heap. The four square thing here is actually interesting. The upper left-hand square and the lower right-hand square are identical in a lot of ways. Top left has Matt running out of the room in a cool blue color, by the way. Bottom right has Daredevil running at the reader in almost exactly the same pose. The interstitial panels upper right has Matt ducking into the storeroom, bottom left has him of course changing, but these two panels right here, the diagonal panel, that is gorgeous. This whole page is so well laid out, and it is definitely very effective in selling that drugs are bad, okay? This is what can happen. But it also is reminiscent of that really over-the-top scene where Helen Hunt freaks out and jumps out a window. If you've not seen this, do yourself a favor and get to YouTube and look at Helen Hunt drug overdose. But Daredevil gets downstairs and Coach Donahue, who is a professional educator who has been trained for situations like this, educators do have emergency protocols. He tells Daredevil, help her, get her to the hospital, which is what you do not want to do. You do not want to move somebody who has had this kind of trauma. You don't know what kind of internal bleeding they have or what that's going to cause. And it bothers me that Daredevil, having been on the streets for a while, goes ahead and does so. He does just that thing and rushes her to the hospital. Now, think about that. He's running across the city jostling this kid who has just fallen multiple stories onto the concrete. And of course, she dies because the story would not be effective if she didn't. And Daredevil's frustrated to learn that she you know, has been on this angel dust, or PCP, which is a drug that causes aggression and hallucinatory effects. Note, turning people's eyes red and smoke billowing out of the mouth is not one of the side effects. And Daredevil drops the news on Mary Elizabeth's brother, Billy, who is swearing vengeance, I'm going to take the law into my own hands. Two things on this scene. One, Daredevil telling Billy, and I am reading directly off the page, you can't take the law into your own hands, rings hypocritical because Daredevil is indeed a vigilante, which is the definition, at least by connotation, of taking the law into your own hands made doubly worse because Matt's also a lawyer and knows the definition of vigilanteism and where that falls on the legal spectrum. Secondly, though, as this scene progresses from the, the doctor telling Daredevil the news to Billy rushing out and Daredevil rushing after him, the hospital floor is this cool checker pattern, blue and black. In the early scenes, it's a pretty straightforward checker pattern, but as it goes forward, it gets more and more chaotic as the emotions and the confusion become more and more prevalent. So by the last shot of the floor, it basically looks like the Sunday edition of the New York Times crossword puzzle. It's completely chaotic, and that's kind of where we are emotionally in this story. Mary Elizabeth is a victim, but she's also kind of culpable in her own death by by having explored these drugs. But there's also a dealer out there who is dealing drugs to kids. And who's sullying up the streets and causing things like this to happen knowingly. And you have this kid, Billy, who's rushing out to take the law into his own hands. I mean, there's a lot of chaos here. And that checker pattern going chaotic is a very good emotional indicator. It's very subtle. Not quite subliminal, but very subtle. You wouldn't necessarily call it out unless you were studying it for a podcast. From there, Daredevil puts on a, air quotes, disguise, which is a jacket, like basically a members-only jacket with a pageboy hat. That's not a good disguise because if you're walking down the street, you're still in red tights and a devil mask. I mean, I'm pretty certain somebody's going to come up to you and say, hey, I think you might be Daredevil. Meanwhile, Billy goes home and pulls a Janie by getting a gun and his parents take no notice of him or the fact that their daughter has just died. The absentee parent is a bit of a Frank Miller trope. You'd see it down the road in Carrie Kelly's parents when she goes off to become Robin in The Dark Knight. I don't know what kind of childhood Frank Miller had or if this is indicative of that, but it is something that he comes back to time and time again. Meanwhile, we have future murder victim Flapper who's selling drugs to these street heavies and the first thing the street heavies want to do is bust some heads because, of course, all drug addicts want to get high and start causing trouble on the streets. That's just the normal thing that drug addicts do. No, it's not. Drug addiction is a completely different, multifaceted part of our society. And these depictions, when the war on drugs was very early and very new, are actually quite detrimental to the very thing that they're trying to pursue, which is get drug addiction out of the country. Because there's no sympathy, there's no shades of gray of drug addiction in these stories. Drugs are bad. People who do drugs are bad. And there's more to it than that. And what frustrates me the most about that depiction is this comic had some input by an organization called Phoenix House, which does help drug addictions. It's sort of a uh, halfway house, I guess is the best way to put it. So professionals were consulted on this issue and yet There's sort of a very clear distinction between the good people and the bad people. Until we get later in the issue. This group of heavies really sits badly with me. And of course, whose head are they going to bust? Well, it's going to be Daredevil in his shitty disguise. And that fight leads to the Punisher showing up. And the funny thing is, I, I love this, that the Punisher arrives and there's a lull in the fight. And the Punisher actually says, Daredevil, it's a pleasure to meet you. Maybe you've heard of me. Like, completely cocktail party hello. The two could be clinking martinis together instead of busting up these people. And that introduction cracks me up because this relationship is going to become as contentious as it gets. And it's something that keeps coming back again and again and again. That the Punisher and Daredevil have this huge friction. But before these two could get really cozy, they have the murder of Flapper. And Billy has the literal smoking gun. And his thought process is, I wanted to kill him. I set out to kill him. But somebody else did it. And this would come across as an open and shut case in a lot of ways. You have a literal smoking gun, except for the fact that there's freaking ballistics. That's right. They would look at the bullet used to kill Flapper and say, this did not come from that handgun because Daredevil finds out later that it was actually a sniper rifle that killed Flapper, not a pistol. Sniper rifle bullets and pistol bullets, and I'm no ballistics expert, but I, even I know this, they're very, very different. Different calibers. They load differently. They do different kinds of damage to the human body. So I would assume the coroner looking at it said, this would not be a forty four caliber. This is a sniper rifle, which would likely explode somebody's head if it hit. And yet all of that is ignored for the, the promise of a trial of the century in which Billy is going to be an example by the judicial system of New York to be just this poster boy for what not to be. Again, the war on drugs has its multiple levels and multiple victims and a lot of collateral damage. But we've got Matt defending little Billy, which is kind of promising, even though it seems like an open and shut case. It seems like Matt always goes by his gut and his integrity. And it would seem to be a bit of a blessing that Billy is placed in the custody of Coach Donahue rather than his absentee parents. But that's actually just a contrived plot setup. Spoiler! So Matt's got this whole murder case to investigate, and I like the mystery aspect. It brings the noir elements of Daredevil out. I mean, he does some CSI work here by figuring out, no, this perch would be better. Let me investigate that and finds the shell. Again, something that the investigators of New York probably should have and would have done in the real world. And then we have the Punisher doing what the Punisher does, which is beating the living shit out of people. And Daredevil rushes in to finally finish the conflict from earlier. So was Punisher just hanging out here the whole time, trying to get some information, or did he come back? My suspicion is that he was doing an investigation much like Daredevil was. He figured out something wasn't right, because if there's anybody that knows munitions, it's the Punisher. And he would realize, nope, nope, that was a sniper rifle. But here, the Punisher actually blasts Daredevil's billy club out of the air. Now, he does this with a handgun, and it looks like a .44 Magnum, which I cannot picture the Punisher using. It does not seem logistically realistic. A 44 Magnum would lock up, it would have a very slow reaction versus an automatic, it just doesn't seem very Punisher to me. And with a lull in the fight, Punisher says, hey, let's not fight, let's be allies, which normally in Marvel terms would mean they're going to team up and take on the evil together. But Daredevil can't abide Punisher murdering the people he pursues, that's just a bridge too far for Daredevil, at least at this point. It's almost like the Punisher shrugs and says, okay, you do you, I'll do my way, you do your way, and then shoots Daredevil with the tranquilizer, which leads to one of my favorite scenes in this issue, which is a very drugged Daredevil crawling over to this junkie who has been beaten literally to death, and he performs CPR on the guy, bringing him back from that brink of death, and where the Punisher's methods were to beat him... In which he got no information at all, Daredevil taking this approach actually gets him the location of Hogman, which is at the Papa's restaurant. And I think that says something to the whole concept of the open hand to the closed fist, that the Punisher being as chaotic and violent as humanly possible does not yield the same results as Daredevil's more tactful approach and more reasonable approach and more graceful approach, if I may be honest daredevil is able to form a human connection and through saving this man's life he not only finds the person he's looking for he's going to find a witness that can place hogman there at the time of the murder so hogman gets fingered for the killing of his friend flapper the weird thing is that the punisher and daredevil do come from a similar point of origin in which it's all about losing family daredevil is a child who lost his father to crime frank castle is a father who lost his children and wife to crime And they took on such different paths. Now, of course, Frank Castle was in the military, which Tom Panarese beautifully explained to us in episode 75. I want to thank Tom once again for doing that if he's listening. But at the core of it, it's all about the loss of family, and there should be a middle ground that these two can meet on. At least a certain arena of understanding of one another, as long as the two would actually talk. But at the same time... Matt is somebody who can't abide chaos, and I mean that on a literal level. Chaos means that Matt's senses are overloaded, so he's always had to have a certain degree of control over his environments. So the Punisher being a loose cannon, and that borders on being a literal loose cannon, but not quite there, is just too much for Daredevil to deal with. He's already got enough going on here without this guy shooting everybody up. And I can see Matt hitting a point where maybe he sees that the loss of some of these criminals may not be the worst thing in the world. But let's not forget that Matt also has this idealized view of the world most of the time in which everybody is able to receive redemption and is entitled to that redemption. There's a certain naivete to Matt, and it's charming, and it works. And it also means that he doesn't see the flaws in somebody like Jack Murdoch or doesn't see his own flaws sometimes. And yet that doesn't extend to somebody like Frank Castle, who, I mean, Ben Urich showed him, hey, his whole family was killed right in front of him. And yet Daredevil can't extend a certain degree of sympathy to Frank Castle and approach him as a human being. I mean, admittedly, the timing would have been bad because Frank Castle is literally beating a dude to death. But it could have been a moment where Daredevil reached out and maybe changed the course of the Punisher's life. Probably not because Frank's pretty well set on that course that's engraved in his heart. But you know what? The potential was there, and Daredevil squandered it. And I love the scene where Daredevil confronts Hogman at Papa's restaurant, because his friends are like, nope, I don't see anything there. They look the other way and let Hogman get dragged to jail by Daredevil, because they're smart, apparently. They know what's up. Look, dude, if we're going to go up against this guy, he's going to kick our ass, and he's still going to take you in. It's a nice, refreshing change of pace to see some intelligent criminals for once. And the big twist on the issue is when Hogman is put on trial. And we've got eyewitnesses that place him at the scene. And yet, when he says, I didn't do it, there's not a bit of skipping of his heart. Which means he's telling the truth, right? Well, we're going to find out next time. So I'm not going to spoil that too much. But it definitely makes the plot thicken a little bit. It's a very good mystery. It keeps getting deeper and deeper into confusing territory. It's much like a Raymond Chandler novel. You start with one thing and then it continues to snowball and snowball until you've got all these things on the board that really complicate everything in a good way. They keep things interesting. And really, by the end of this issue, the reader doesn't know what's really going on yet. And then we have the Punisher on a rooftop. And i it took me a while to figure out that this is some kind of tent that he's in. And he's working out. He's really getting beefy and all that. He's got his dumbbell. And for a long time, I thought it was just the skylight. And I thought, that's weird. It doesn't attach to anything below it. It's just sort of like a, or a greenhouse or something. But of course, he's watching TV and seeing that Matt is now going to represent Hogman which pisses Frank straight off because now you've got this guy who's protecting a murderer and that puts Matt in harm's way. Again, we don't know that the Punisher has this great code of honor that I won't kill innocents, but I'll kill the criminals. We know that he does focus solely on criminals, but does that focus also extend to people who protect the criminals? That we don't know. And that's what makes the Punisher such a neat, chaotic element to this story. And there's this moment as we leave the Punisher in the issue where he puts the barbell down, picks the gun up and slings it over his shoulder and the final shot is this cool icy blue. Like basically he went somewhere mentally where he has no emotion and no remorse and no regrets. He stops being the man and becomes the mission. He becomes the Punisher. And I love this subtlety once again kind of like the hospital floor. It's not quite subliminal, but it's very subtle. And it tells me that this is a comic that Miller and Mackenzie were not aiming at children. They wanted to give some sophistication and some nuances to the characters. But the final scene of the issue is the one that I really want to get to because it's Matt and Heather walking in the park. And Heather is talking about having taken over Glenn Industries And she's feeling like the board of directors is trying to push her out of her position. This is going to become an important plot point in just a few issues time. So mark that down, but I'm not going to expand on it too much right now. But Matt kind of puts that to the side and says, you know, recently I've come to realize how much I need you, how much I have a hole in my heart. Just this sort of void within me. And he pops the question, will you marry me, Heather? This moment is the snowball that starts the avalanche that won't really come to fruition until issue number 220, I believe. There's going to be a string of events that come from this moment that will end up killing Heather. And I want to be clear on this because it needs to be said, and and I know that's a spoiler for down the road, but Matt asking Heather to marry him, he should know better. Just an issue earlier, he was digging up his ex-girlfriend, the ninja chick Electra. The fact that he says, I've got a hole in me that needs to be filled... And Okay, dirty mind, but he says this because Electra's loss. He's realizing that, and it's unhealthy. It is not a healthy progression for these people. Matt should be far more introspective and kind of look at the relationship as a whole. I mean, this is not a good relationship for either of them. It's fairly toxic, and it's going to get more toxic. As charming as it was that they met when she crashed into his apartment, thinking it was her ex-boyfriend's place... It's not a solid relationship, and and both are really guilty of this. They're not at a maturity level or at a place of perspective to really allow this marriage to become even put on the table. This should not even be on the table, people. And this feels so tacked on. It just feels tacked on to an issue where it's not needed yet. There's already a lot of spinning plates with this story, and yet this particular aspect does not add anything to the overall. It just kind of keeps a subplot brewing. My suspicion is that there was a Roger McKenzie script that was taken out of the drawer that was intended for a single issue, which Miller then reworked, expanded it into two issues, which won't work out the way you think it will, and then placed this little bit of information towards the end just to keep the subplots burning, you know, keep the home fires going. And this is probably the worst direction this particular relationship could go, and at the worst possible time. And yet, here we are. Matt and Heather are becoming engaged. Hurrah! Alright, let's, let's get into the final verdict for this issue, Daredevil number 183. Overall, upon rereading it, I liked it a lot more than the first couple of times I read it. Now, maybe it was an influence of the subsequent issue on this particular story, but I ended up really liking the idea of a mystery that keeps expanding and expanding. The Punisher, once again, is a chaotic force, which I think kind of fits in Daredevil's world, and the whole drug idea is something where I think Daredevil should be. As a street-level hero, this is something he's going to run into a lot. And with Mary Elizabeth O'Corrin in the sort of victim role, it does create shades of gray to the war on drugs, where not all drug addicts are bad guys or bad girls. Some are just conflicted people who find themselves in a weird position. So while the overall is drugs are bad and people who do drugs are bad, you do have these specs here and there that kind of give us the idea that maybe the war on drugs is a little bit more broad than it should be. And luckily, as the 21st century came about, We started seeing a little bit more nuance to that war on drugs. Better targeting, I guess, but we need to help those who are addicted while taking care of those who are getting people addicted intentionally and criminally. The art was on point, but we are starting to see a little bit more of the scritchy-scratchy Miller that would come along with Sin City and The Dark Knight Strikes Again, sort of the de-evolution of his art, because there's a really nice spot where he, he goes from being house style standard artist to kind of having this stylized look to what he does. And then that stylized look just expands to the point where it's completely sloppy. It's like a de-evolution. Here we're starting to see the, the point where he becomes very stylized in a good way, like a nice balance of art versus storytelling. Ultimately, this has a, a great potential for reread value and more value in the reread than the original reading. And that was hard to say. I won't say it three times fast. But suffice it to say, next episode, we're going to be looking at Daredevil number 184, which continues this particular story and actually concludes it. Maybe not in the way you're suspecting. But we have another confrontation with the Punisher. We find out, was Hogman really lying when he said he didn't kill Flapper? And what is the final fate of Billy O'Corn? Is he going to jail? Is it really an open-shut case? Will he find a place of happiness with Coach Donahue rather than his parents? All of that and more will happen in one week. Until next time, people, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. You have been listening to Dave's Daredevil Podcast Daredevil and other Marvel characters are copyright Marvel comics. Any music or sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. This show earns no money and exists for entertainment purposes only.